Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free educational resource, you can support the show and get access to bonus episodes by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash words for granted. Thanks to Catherine for her recent contribution. If Patreon's not your thing, but you still want to support the show, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash words for granted. All right, let's get on to today's episode. An idiot is someone who lacks basic common sense, someone who crosses the street without looking both ways, someone who shows up to a formal event underdressed, someone who clings to a demonstrably false belief. But what about someone who's private? Is a private person an idiot? Well, not necessarily. Being private doesn't have anything to do with being an idiot which is why it may surprise you that idiotes, the ancient Greek root word from which idiot derives, originally meant a private person. In order to understand how the word went from meaning a private person to a stupid person, we'll need to examine this original definition in its ancient Greek cultural context. But before we do that, I want to explore some straight-up etymology. Idiotes derives from the Greek adjective idios, meaning personal, or one's own. If something is private, it is one's own and only one's own. So the connection between idios and a private person is clear enough. This root idios is also found in a handful of other modern English words, such as idiosyncrasy and idiom. An idiosyncrasy is a characteristic or quirk unique to a single individual, and an idiom is a figurative phrase or expression, but originally the word referred to the manner of speech unique to a particular group or region, kind of similar to what we mean by dialect today. In the case of idiom, the scope of what is meant by personal is extended from the individual to the level of the collective. A similar collective sense of personal is evident in the word idiotai, which is the plural form of idiotes. Idiotai frequently appears in the Greek written record as a word for one's own countrymen. So this is the family of words that the Greek idiotes, which again meant private person, was born into, and none of what I just shared suggests any obvious connection to the sense of idiot we have today. So, what exactly did the ancient Greeks mean by a private person? Did they mean someone who stays home all day, doesn't reveal any of their secrets, and only uses encrypted web browsers? No. Private, in this context, had a civic connotation. An idiotes was a non-statesman. In other words, someone who did not hold a political office within the state. In modern English, the term private citizen uses the word private to convey a similar meaning. Now, if you were to search the web and dig into the etymology of idiot on your own, you might encounter a common myth that suggests something like this. Because an idiotes was a private citizen, or a non-statesman, the word eventually came to refer to people who didn't participate in politics at all. You know, people who didn't vote, who didn't show up to town hall, etc., 
And because civic engagement was valued as an important part of Greek culture, an idiotes, or an apolitical member of society, was viewed as an idiot in the modern sense, as someone stupid and neglectful. And this is how the modern sense of the word idiot emerged. This would be a convincing theory if there were indeed evidence for it in the written record, but there simply isn't. Many Greek writers, perhaps most famously the historian Thucydides in Pericles' funeral oration, ridiculed fellow Greeks who ignored their civic duties, but none of these writers ever uses idiotes as a word of contempt in this context. In translation, Thucydides writes, quote, We regard him who takes no part in these public duties not as unambitious but as useless, end quote. Harsh, but if idiotes indeed were part of the Greek lexicon as a pejorative word for a politically non-participating member of society, Thucydides almost certainly would have written instead, quote, We regard the idiotes as unambitious or useless, end quote. Of course, idiotes did pick up a pejorative sense at some point, but not from this politically motivated origin story. Since most men in ancient Greece were not political office holders, idiotes came to be a catch-all term for the common man, and as a more pejorative extension of this, an average Joe, you might say. Even though in its original sense, philosophers, artists, and mathematicians, to name a few intellectually rigorous occupations, would all have been considered idioti, the judgment implicit in this extended sense of idiotes is that most people who aren't holders of a political position are just average. Obviously, this pejorative evolution first emerged among aristocratic office holders themselves and not the lay people they were demeaning. Out of these senses, meaning commoner, average Joe, or even lay person, idiotes acquired even more pejorative connotations, including unskilled person, uneducated person, and ignoramus. If you're familiar with what I call the greatest hits of English etymology, you may know that the word vulgar developed its negative connotation in a nearly identical story. In Latin, vulgus just meant common people, and vulgaris meant of the common people. Today, vulgar means something unrefined, rude, or inappropriately sexual, and this negative sense evolved out of the Roman elites contrasting themselves and their way of life with commoners and their way of life. Like the pejorative sense of the Greek idiotes, the pejorative sense of vulgaris, or vulgar, comes from the aristocratic assumption that commoners are less than. When the Romans borrowed idiotes into Latin as idiota, they solely inherited the negative connotation of the word. An idiota was a crude, unintelligent, or illiterate person, and the word's connection to politics completely faded away. From Latin, the word idiota passed into the Romance languages, and in the 14th century, it passed from French into Middle English. The English sense of idiot continued the semantic convention of its Latin predecessor, referring to the crude, unintelligent, and illiterate, but it also came to refer to people with intellectual disabilities. Intellectual disability is the modern term for what in previous decades would have been called mental retardation. 
Today, it would be considered both insensitive and inaccurate to call an intellectually impaired person an idiot. The reason it would be insensitive seems obvious enough, but the reason it would be inaccurate is because, as I alluded to at the start of this episode, the word idiot isn't really a measure of low intellect anymore. For the most part, I think, idiocy is a measure of low common sense or common knowledge. One obscure domain where this sense of an idiot as an intellectually impaired person survives is in the law. Beginning in Middle English, an idiot was legally defined basically as one who has been without reasoning or understanding from birth. According to this definition, an idiot is incapable of criminal intention. You can find this definition of idiot in legal dictionaries published as recently as the 20th century, and this outdated term still exists in many current legal codes that were written over a century ago. In just the last decade, several states, including California, Iowa, and Arkansas, have revised the legal term idiot with phrases like persons who are mentally incapacitated and persons adjudged mentally incompetent. All right, let's take a quick break to hear a word from today's sponsor. If you run a small business, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for the roles you need to fill. That's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Now, I don't run a business where I'm in a position to hire people, but I just checked out how the LinkedIn Jobs site works, and it's just about as simple and intuitive as can be. You can create a free job posting in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. The interface lets you focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience by using screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then, using the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs, you can quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs has been ranked number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors, and I can see why. So LinkedIn Jobs is the best way to help you find candidates that you want to talk to as quickly as possible. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash words. That's linkedin.com slash words to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, back to the show. So this sense of idiot as a general term for an intellectually impaired person persisted from the 14th through the 20th centuries, though by the late 19th century, its definition had become more clinical. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, a handful of Western psychologists became interested in measuring and quantifying intelligence. While some of these efforts produced positive social innovations, such as special education for intellectually disabled, blind, or deaf students, most of the intelligence researchers at this time were driven by explicitly racist, classist, and eugenicist agendas. This is actually the culture and time period out of which the modern IQ test was born. The IQ test may seem like a benign institution today, but its history is indeed wrapped up in these presently unfashionable agendas. Alfred Binet, the French psychologist who co-created the IQ test, 
pioneered the concept of mental age, which basically is a measurement of how an individual at a certain age performs on an intelligence test relative to the performance of others of the same age on the same test. Binet's controversial concept of mental age was endorsed and imported to the U.S. by American psychologist Henry Goddard, who introduced a classification system that divided the lowest mental ages into three groups. Idiots, imbeciles, and morons. Today, these are words that we throw around casually as both lighthearted and mean-spirited insults, but just over a century ago, these were clinical classifications of perceived intellectual impairment based on mental age. Let me read to you the clinical definitions of idiot, imbecile, and moron from psychologist Edmund Burke Huey's 1912 work, Backward and Feeble-Minded Children. Quote, Idiots. Those so defective that the mental development never exceeds that of a normal child of about two years. Imbeciles. Those whose development is higher than that of an idiot, but whose intelligence does not exceed that of a normal child of about seven years. Morons. Those whose mental development is above that of an imbecile, but does not exceed that of a normal child of about 12 years. End quote. An idiot would have scored between 0 and 25 on the IQ test, an imbecile between 26 and 50, and a moron between 51 and 70. The words idiot and imbecile had existed in the English lexicon for centuries at this point, but moron was a coinage of Dr. Goddard himself. He based it on the Greek word moros, meaning dull. Another clinical term that emerged during this period is idiot savant, which is someone who has a general intellectual impairment, but extraordinary skills in a single domain, such as mathematics, memory, spatial recognition, music, etc. If you've ever seen the movie Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman's character Raymond Babbitt is an idiot savant. This term has always confused me because idiot savants aren't idiots in the modern sense. They are, by definition, gifted. However, the idiot in idiot savant is employed in the word's older sense, meaning an intellectually impaired person. Savant, by the way, is a French word meaning a learned or brilliant person, or even a scholar. So if we were to literally translate idiot savant into modern English, we'd come up with something like a brilliant intellectually impaired person. As you might imagine, the term idiot savant is no longer really considered politically correct. Today, idiot savants are just called savants, and the condition itself is called savant syndrome. The French psychologist who coined the term idiot savant was John Langdon Down. Down was the first person to research and describe Down syndrome, hence the name of the condition, and indeed the first recorded idiot savant was an individual with Down syndrome. Not long after its coinage, psychologists recognized that the term idiot savant was a misnomer, as not all individuals with savant syndrome qualified as idiots, according to Dr. Goddard's classification, but the term nonetheless remained in the popular lexicon. Whereas idiot, imbecile, and moron as clinical terms are now obscure trivia relegated to the history of psychology and perhaps IQ buffs, Idiot savant is still an active part of the lexicon, despite the status of its political incorrectness. 
I've definitely heard well-meaning folks use the term, and I'm not talking about people in their 70s, 80s, or 90s, but people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. As we close this episode, I'm curious to know if you think the word idiot as a colloquial insult is offensive. To me, and I think to the vast majority of people, the word idiot doesn't raise an eyebrow, and I myself use it when I feel it's appropriate. But I have met people who really don't like the word, and I'm not just talking about some third grade teacher who tells their students not to say it because that's not nice. I have no idea if their distaste for the word is due to the story we investigated today. Before researching this episode, I did know that idiot was the lowest score you could get on an IQ test back in the day, but I didn't know the full context around it. So does knowing more about the history of the word change how you feel about it? Does it not change a thing? I'm curious to hear your thoughts, as always, so shoot me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com or send me a DM on Twitter. The handle, as you probably know, is at wordsforgranted. All right, thanks so much for listening. I hope you loved it. Happy New Year's if you're listening to this episode at the time of its release. You know the regular spiel. If you want to support my independent research, you can make a monthly contribution at patreon.com. That'll also give you access to short, mostly monthly bonus episodes. Like I just said, if you have questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or whatever, you just want to say hi, you can email me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. All right, I'll talk to you next time here at Words for Granted.